Welcome to the Little Way Farm and Homestead podcast. Little Way Farm and Homestead is a regenerative and educational farm in southeastern Indiana. Motivated by the Catholic faith, we strive to inspire, encourage, and support the development of homesteads and small-scale farms in faith and virtue. I'm Matthew. And I'm Carissa. We're excited for you to join us on the podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Little Way Farm and Homestead podcast. Today, we are honored to have a genuine conversation between close friends of ours, Mike and Francis. Mike and Francis are one of the first families to welcome us into the homesteading lifestyle. It was at their house that we learned how to process chickens. I still remember running around the front yard trying to catch those Cornish cross. Not only that, but Mike and Francis continue to inspire us in their commitment to live a life characterized by the Catholic faith, even when times are challenging. Together, they have seven children and live a homesteading lifestyle. Their home is surrounded by goats, chickens, rabbits, and a garden, and it is clear that they are committed to growing in holiness and building a homestead where the Catholic faith is evident. This recording was conducted months prior to its release at Little Way Farm and Homestead when both of our families spent time with one another. You will hear the sounds of children playing in the background and the general chatter of many people gathered under one roof. This is a unique insight via the podcast into the joy and realities of bringing together growing Catholic families. We hope this conversation is inspiring to you. We love our Catholic faith. Its place within our farm and homestead is foundational as we hope it is in yours. Let's get into the podcast. Today we have Mike and Francis joining us. We're extremely excited to have Mike and Francis. They're very good friends of ours that we know through our church communities and our faith communities, and we're extremely excited and honored to have them in our house recording locally. Welcome, Mike. Welcome, Francis. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So to kind of start off, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourselves, your family, what does life look like for you all right now, where do you live, etc. So we just had our seventh baby, and we live in a small little barn. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> while we wait to build a house. Yeah, we uh, we homeschool most of our children. Like you said, we're in a barn. We finished 800 square feet of the barn, so it's very, very tight and cozy with nine people. You, you mentioned a few times, so obviously we know a little bit of the backstory on the barn, but you mentioned a few times, so that's obviously super interesting because a lot of people, it'll probably get over to the homestead portion in a minute, but a lot of people may be interested in that because some people who may be listening to this, ourselves included, have considered actually building out a post frame or a barn environment and framing it out and living in it. Maybe talk to us just a little bit about that. That's it. That's unique. That's interesting. It wasn't really our plan for it to happen that way. No. We kind of were praying about it because we had the property and we wanted to sell our house at the high market. And then we both woke up one morning and we're like, let's just start with a barn. Yeah, we're trying to figure out how to get onto the property as quickly as possible. And building a post frame barn was, seemed like the fastest way of going about it. And that has turned into our permanent residence. So you all live there right now. Well, I guess it's not. Yes, it's been our permanent. For you. Where else are you living? (laughs) (laughs) I'm living there. (laughs) Um, I I mean, the plan is to build a house (laughs) or, well, we're going to add on addition. to the barn. Yeah. yeah. So. so the barn, it's not fully framed out though, right? Or is it fully framed out? The 800, 800 square, square feet, feet is yeah. finished. Yeah. It's yeah. fully finished. Yeah. 
but there's one bathroom, which is really difficult. Yes. <laughs> it's quite often that we have more than one person waiting in line for the bathroom. So. Yes. It's good discipline maybe created Very about good. lining up for... The boys go outside. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so one of the focus of the podcast really is effectively about talking about the Catholic faith in the home and specifically around children are being raised in the home and how the Catholic faith is being supported in the home and culture is being developed. What does that look like in your household? Where is the Catholic faith evident in the home? My mind goes like 50 different directions. I think the most important thing that we try to do is, and this was this isn't how we've always done it. Well, to be honest with you, I haven't been as intentional early on in the marriage uh, versus recently, but it's always, it's an open dialogue home. So if the kids have questions about anything or if there's current events, I try to talk to the kids about what's going on in the world to their level that they can understand and that they're not jaded or anything like that. But having just open dialogue where they can ask questions and not feel stupid. And we talk about all kinds of different things. Yeah, yeah I was gonna say more often it's what they're experiencing. It's not like we're, purposely sharing world issues but everything's in your face nowadays so and on top of it like since we are in a small space everything is heard if even Mike and I are talking so we have to explain things again to them that they overhear <laughs> at their level in in the light of the faith as well yeah so a couple of things we do is we try to have priests religious over for dinner just to that they see that this is normal. I know when I grew up, I used to think priests were these holier than thou people and that I that wasn't something I could be or could do. I think it's important for them to see these are normal people with normal flaws, normal interests, and they're they call to a different path than mom and dad are called to. Another thing that we try to do, especially I've seen this with large families, some of the kids get kind of lost in the shuffle. So being able to give that attention to all of your children is, it's not possible. So one of the things that we've tried to do is I, mainly me, I, you've done it a little bit, do date nights. So it started out with just like an hour once a week, I would take one of the kids and play games or go outside and talk, whoever, whatever kid, want, I gave them, hey, you got an hour of my attention for sure. It sometimes would be longer and you get to pick what we do or what we talk about. <clears throat> Sometimes it was just playing Legos or reading a book. And then as they get older, there's more and more things we do. And then lately I've been trying to get out of the home because when you're in the home, there's still so many distractions and the kids are coming up and distracting you from the other child that's supposedly having the date. That's been one area too, to kind of like really focus on getting to know their interests, what they're interested in, what their passions are, what they, what they want to do in life. That's, I think, another intentional thing we've been really trying to do to kind of foster that relationship, that open dialogue that they can come to us and talk to us about anything. So four different points off of that that we could go, and I think I want to explore all of them. Let's start with religious in the household. So you mentioned inviting religious, and when we say religious, for those who may not be familiar, probably refers to like an ordained priest uh, of the Catholic faith, or maybe a religious sister, maybe a brother, someone in religious life in that way. So basically not a lay person, someone who's married or a single person. So 
What does that look? How do you get a priest to dinner? What does that look like? It used to be easier, especially now we're in the country, so it's further away from our priest. We have a really good pre a friend of ours uh, that was at our two parishes ago. I think it was two parishes yeah. ago. We used to have him over all the time, but we were like five minutes away. He would always come over for dinner, so it was a nice way for him to get out, eat a home-cooked meal that he didn't have to prepare himself. And that, that was pretty easy. And then now that we're further out, it just takes more and our priests are more... Stretched. Stretched, yeah. Now they have more and more parishes that they have to go to. They're just... They're just bit, they're busier it seems, um, and also religious. Like the, there are sisters we've tried, we've actually tried to have the sisters out from. We tried uh, for months. Parish, and they never made it. Yeah, and it's been really hard to get them out. But you just, you kind of just, we've seen it work where here, here's a few dates. What works best for you, and then kind of put it in their court because that seems to have worked the best for us. And then they come over for dinner and the kids get crazy and embarrass you half the time. <laughs> and it's great. <laughs> yeah, something we've talked about a lot is trying to make sure that our kids know that they have options when looking at their vocation in life. And the open dialogue thing is what comes up with us, I think, a lot in trying to encourage the idea of thinking about the option of religious life. So I just wanted to know, is there any ways that you guys try to open that conversation up with your kids? I don't think we've had two as much. If you have the sisters at the parish... Because the, the sisters at the parish, they are just so dynamic and lively and wonderful that that's an attraction on its own. I think it's a little harder if you don't have that example. So I don't know because we've never had. I mean, from, I mean, I from the beginning, since my oldest was a little girl, I would be like, you're going to be a nun, right? Like I would try to trick her into being like to committing to something on video. I would have video <laughs> running. It's kind of funny. The fewer parishes that we had, there were of sisters and that was like I always got the like heck no dad I don't want to do that I like that was not something they were even interested in and then the, the you know the last parish that we went to there's a vibrant community of sisters and they're beautiful and they're engaging and they are joyful and it's like I want to be around them. I, I, can I be a sister? <laughs> like, they're just amazing, and it's attractive. And I, and the girls, I mean, they're not like, oh, yeah, I want to be a sister, but they're very open to the idea if that's what God's calling them to do. So having, that, having those examples, having those dynamic priests that, like, love God, love Jesus, love their, love their parish, love their, their family, like, those are the people that are going to try. They don't have to use words to, like, try to trick you into doing something like you're just going to be naturally attracted to that so having those examples i think is important just same with married couples like having good married couples as friends yeah that's i think we've kind of thought the same thing though so we're obviously we're at church and we celebrate the sacraments having the visibility of the sisters there is a particularly powerful message because it shows a real option i think and oftentimes that idea of vocation is almost veiled behind these old ideas and people don't maybe realize that there actually still are religious in the world and that there are sisters there are brothers there are you know young men pursuing the priesthood 
said, because it's just not often, it's not very visible, at least where we are in the world. So we talked about religious, and then we talked about considering the idea that the children see the world and hear parts of the world and things that are going on in the world, and maybe you live in a smaller space, and so you have to talk about that. How do you handle tactfully conversations around the world in the home and continue to promote the joy of the faith at the same time? I think it's pretty interrelated in the fact that these people are actually causing their own suffering and how much God actually truly loves them. I mean, if you can keep that perspective, it really can help you understand these very distorted situations because that's what it can look like superficially sometimes. I I want to be honest with my children and there are things that I think I can share the beauty and the truth and, and show like hey th- this is like very sinful but look what look what the devil has taken that God had created that's so beautiful and he's distorted it's all it's that's all he does is distort and tries to pervert the beautiful mm-hmm. and so trying to come from that lens from a, a Catholic perspective I think is is important if you're just talking about current events or the the craziness that's going on in the world it's kind of depressing and it's it's not very um, helpful to their salvation, but hey, coming from a, the spiritual perspective, where like, hey, th- this what God's created here is beautiful and good, and let's keep let's keep our eyes on that and not worry about <clears throat> all the stuff that's going around in our world. Let's keep the peace in our home, the things that we can control, how our holiness, the things that we can do to to show God that we love Him, and and then worry about everything else is is just it's just noise, it's distractions. So, talking about current events, I think is important, but not dwelling on them or dwelling on the negativity. I think is what we try to do. I like that a lot. I think that's probably one of the biggest. I don't want to call it a problem anymore. Because I think if you call it a problem, it it suggests that there's a cure necessarily. I think of it more as a challenge and something that we can rise to the occasion to and overcome, which is that no matter how much we talk about how great the Catholic faith is, how beautiful it is, how much God loves us, we still live in a fallen world. And that fact isn't going to change. It's going to be there no matter what we do. So effectively, there's nothing that we can do while on earth to cure that or solve that. It's going to be here with us. We all have our own concupiscence and we have our own struggles and challenges and imperfections and things we struggle with, but we can overcome them with God's grace and we can work arduously in life to overcome them. So I wonder, you know, in the home, though, is there something or anything that you do as a family, maybe culturally even in the house, that you do to promote peace and joy, excitement, happiness? Uh, (laughs) These are aspirations, Matt. (laughs) Well, I think they are, though. I I think that's honest. I think that's good. Okay, uh, let me back up. If I were, I would say the same thing. If someone asked me, do you proactively build joy in the house? Honestly, probably not. I'm, I think I'm too focused on producing, providing, and keeping things out. Was it protecting? Protecting. I think I'm. I think I'm so focused on protecting the house that I'm probably. I probably really. You know, and not even probably. I really miss. I miss the mark entirely right now on building out 
joy in the house. We have fun. We have lots of wrestling matches. <laughs> lots of wrestling matches, mainly because I'll just be walking and I feel like people want to fight me in the house. <laughs> My children are just like lurking in the corners, like waiting for me to like come around and jump me and... <laughs> Specifically the youngest, like she just, she's, it's always something. But I guess that's something that I'm thinking on and maybe it's similar to you, but maybe even if it's an aspiration, what would that look like? I mean, I think to your point, like it's playing with your kids, wrestling your kids, spending time with your kids actually does promote peace and they're happy. I think a lot of the times we have difficulties with our kids, whether they're going through, we say they're going through a tough time or they're, they're the terrible twos or, or they're lashing out. It's usually because they're not getting our attention. And that goes back to the whole big family issue is where some of the kids that, depending on the, if they're more reserved versus other ones that are more outgoing and are not afraid to get mom and dad's attention, they can kind of get left out and then the way they get their mom and dad's attention is by lashing out so instead of giving them the 20% discipline 80% love I end up doing the 80% discipline 20% love and I feel like I'm a failure and so to me I feel like it all comes down to like I can tell the, the peace in the home is based on specifically for me how much time I'm spending with my kids or how much am I vegged out on the couch just exhausted or looking at my stupid phone. The peace has a lot to do with my prayer life, the relationship between me and Francis, and then the re- and then each relationship between each one of my kids. And and I'm a perfectionist, so it's really like you were just talking about the things that you feel like you're failing at. I do the same thing over and over again. I don't look at the good things that are happening. I look at the things that I'm falling short and it's exhausting. And it's depressing at times because I'm like, I'm, I'm not I'm not the father I need to be. I'm not the husband I need to be. I'm failing miserably. My kids are going to hell because I'm horrible. Like, I have those thoughts. I, I know we're laughing at them, but I do. Like, I, I think that way, and it's sad. I only chuckle because I feel the same way at times where I'm like, every, no one's making it because I'm in, I can't figure this boat out. Like, I am, I am personally driving this boat into the ground. And I think it's good to have that sense of responsibility, but we also need to know that that's a lack of trust in God. Like when I had those fears, I'm not, it's a, it's the prayer of the pagan, not the prayer of a saint. Like that's what's happening. And so it's good reminders to have that because then it's like, okay, I need to get back to prayer. Um, well, maybe Francis or Krista can comment on this too. Cause it, it, what you're saying makes me think about something. I, I, I haven't thought of this before, but in our human, like you saying specifically that, the attention often comes from discipline and situations of that where we have to step in as guider, protector, etc., and offer that because that's proper. We have to do that. But it's also a reality that maybe that's the only time that the attention comes through. I wonder now if that unfortunately or at times conveys a sense of justice that's disproportional to the behavior without communicating the mercy and I don't know how to strike that balance exactly obviously God does that I don't know I'm interested I don't know Francis what do you think about that I was just thinking about this um, and raising all the different personalities as they grow up and we had our we had three girls first and they're 
they all just work together well and and now we have two boys at a a rambunctious age <laughs> they're driving us crazy but we have I, I was just thinking like the expectations can really portray how you react to things and I need to change my expectations for them so I can discipline maybe less <laughs> or more appropriately or they just learn so differently and they are so different. I think part of the reason it's so interesting is because it's extraordinarily real. And when we really look at the way that a house is run and we consider the structure of a house, everything from the providing of you know warmth in the wintertime and cool in the summertime to good nourishing food to you know relative comforts and needs is that the the things that ultimately are the most difficult are often the things that are the most necessary and of course what is the most necessary is the catholic faith in the household maybe that's an easy segue into another chapter in this conversation you know what does the catholic faith look like as expressed through the family like are there traditions do you have specific mottos that you try to follow particular saints that are important to you all in the household I guess we could start just by homeschooling. I don't know if you call that a tradition, but Mike was homeschooled. So trying to use his family's experience homeschooling, we're we're doing it a little different, but I think that's a good way to just have flexibility living a more Catholic life. I think we do a lot of education around learning about our faith and then trying to share that with each other and have open conversations. I know I'm doing uh, religion with my oldest daughter this year, and she's going to be a freshman in high school. So it's getting a little bit more serious, um, a little bit more topics that she hasn't learned about. And I'm trying to kind of have more of a discussion with her and have this kind of like dialogue like if she's if she's learning about something and she's got a question like to come to me we'll just have a to be able to have the patience to be able to like drop what I'm doing and have that conversation with her give her the time that she needs to digest what we're talking about it's important we do bedtime prayers every night it's and then I we physically bless our children what does that what does that mean like giving making a, bus, a making a sign of the cross on the their cross. forehead Got it. Uh, if we have holy water we'll you know sometimes do holy water blessing trying to engage with the traditions of the church that have happened for many years like the the uh, epiphany blessing of the house and the, the ch- writing the chalk over the doorways getting into certain feast days uh I have a special devotion to St. Joseph. and it, it, we, I keep coming back to this open dialogue. You got to have open dialogue with your kids. Your kids have to trust you. And if they do, they'll come to you about every, anything and everything. And it may hurt you. It may not hurt you. But at least you can. You have the opportunity to show them that you love them and that you're, you're there for them regardless. Hey there. We hope the first half of this interview has been edifying to you. We will get right back to the second half, where we will hear more about homesteading and the Catholic faith. But before that, we did want to encourage anyone listening who might be considering moving to land or buying property to check out Real Estate for Life. Real Estate for Life is a real estate brokerage with over 1,400 pro-life real estate agents worldwide. They have completed over 10,000 real estate transactions, and they report 65% of their revenue goes to a pro-life or Catholic apostolate. You can quickly find an agent near you through their website at realestateforlife.org. And if you let them know that you learned about Real Estate for Life from Little Way Farm and Homestead, 
That helps support our family in continuing the work of Little Way Farm and Homestead. Now, back to the episode. I am just curious how you guys how you guys have woven into your Catholic life, living on the land and raising your family this way. How do you think that has enhanced or fed into your children's spiritual life and your own? Well, I mean, just one example I think of is our 14-year-old, she will get up every morning, milk the goats, and pray her rosary. And I think that speaks enough that she wants to do that. And for Lent, all the older children were trying to pray daily rosaries by themselves and then with the family. We suggest that the idea of the Catholic homestead is not one that is firstly defined by a number of acres or an amount of animals or anything like that, but is firstly guided by a home that orients itself or builds itself on the Catholic faith. How does the Catholic faith sit at the center of it? What's different about your homestead versus a homestead where there is no Catholic faith inside of it? Yeah, I think it goes back to like understanding that these are that first of all this is a like a gift from god that first that we're able to have land that we have 40 acres and just having that the gratefulness that we have this opportunity to raise our own food like francis and i she had she had dogs and cats growing up i had zero animals suburban completely suburban no i wasn't even didn't even have a pet dog and to go to now we have pigs, goats, chickens, you know, we're talking about getting, you know, rabbits, possibly a cow. Like, if you would have told me this 10 years ago, <laughs> I would have been like, you're out of your, you're, you lost your we mind. You or contest. I lost my mind. I talked him into getting chickens when we had like a 20 by 30 backyard. Yes. You know, like it was a tiny backyard. We were known, as, <laughs> we were known as the chicken people in our uh, neighborhood. It was, it was quite, quite funny. But like, I, I think just so having that mindset of being grateful, what God's given us and then treating like we really try to tr like the kids are it's kind of I tell them not to get attached to the animals because they're food. But it's also great because they, they love these animals. They take care of these animals have a great life. Like we take care of them. They have plenty of food. They have plenty of space to run. We make sure they're protected and we try to work along with God and, and the environment that we have and try to respect what God's given us. You know, I think there are a lot of secular farmers out there that have that mentality. So I, I, I don't know if it's, they might not realize it's a, a greater power that is uh, letting, you know, allowing them to, to do this or giving them the, the idea to do it because not everybody does it. Not everybody wants to do it. We we try to bring people in to like show them what we're doing to to attract people to do it because we this is important. This is our health. These are this is our we are temples of the Holy Spirit, and we we've we've seen the fruits um, in our children's lives and our lives. Like I said, Francis, like we got into this originally because she was super sick and we wanted, we didn't want to go down the medical route. We tried it for a little bit and they couldn't tell us anything. And it was this, she's just, uh, what, what was it? Um, you're chronically ill. It's this chronically ill. And we're like, the, we, this is not acceptable. Like she's not going to live the rest of her life taking medication for something we don't even know what is chronically ill. What does that mean? 
so we we that was the impetus for us to get into this and now we've like seen all the fruits from it and trust me i'm like it's overwhelming at times i'm like man can we like is there a way to dial us back but like our goal is to we want we have these many goals of like we want to be we want to grow our own meat like all of our own meat we want to eventually get to the point where we're growing all our own meat and do baby steps like it would be great to just be like poof we're growing all our own food and we don't never have to go to the grocery store, but that's not realistic. And maybe someday it will be, but now it's just, it's having those little goals and enjoying the process. It's really hard for me to say that because I, I'm very goal oriented and I want to get to the end. I like, I want to just be self sufficient, not need anybody else. And like, that's it. But learning to enjoy the putting up fencing or moving the chickens. Moving fences was uh, pleasant in the beginning. (laughs) For whatever reason, I would be like, oh, this is great. I'm going outside. I'm going to move around these fences real quick. And then like after two or three months, I was like, I eh, they can sit for another day. We might need to invest in permanent fencing with gates. (laughs) So you're like permanent fencing sounds really good. I know it's very expensive, but I wouldn't have to go move it. I think all those points are, I mean, those are really good points. And I think it ultimately probably points to the fact that, you know, many people listening to this, including ourselves, often are simply looking for reassurance that we're maybe struggling, but we're at least struggling in the right direction. (laughs) I would be suspicious of anyone who is attempting to live a healthy, faithful, honorable, spiritually focused marriage while raising children and if they looked at me and were like we are totally fine I'd be very suspicious I'm not saying you're not telling the truth I just could you share a little wisdom about it or like are you show a little weakness (laughs) (laughs) do you have any problems you can like just let me know you're human please well because that's what we do as humans right we compare our insides to everybody's outside so we look like we look at everybody else and be like they've all got it together I think it's important to show people your weaknesses and to show things like okay they may have the same weaknesses okay what 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 do you use to help you overcome that weakness maybe i can try the same things that's why the saints stories are amazing because all the saints are sinners they just keep getting up it kind of brings me back to the thought that you said at the beginning about making bringing people in the religious life around our families and making it normalized and bringing it back down like they're just like you and i think that's part of our hopes and intentions with sharing on this podcast and the families that we bring on and whatever we're able to share from our own lives is just reminding other catholics that we're all in the same boat and that it it's a hard journey but we can do it and uh, just having other families to look at and seeing ourselves in them like we do with the saints. Just seeing that their journey wasn't perfect, but the ways that they relied on God and his grace to get them through and to make it to heaven. It's inspirational and encouraging to see other families that we can relate to. I think that's a, that's a great point. Like that's literally at, like this is this is biblical. This is what the early apostles, the early church did was you were sur- you lived in community. You had people that are like-minded, especially in today's society when like it's crazy out there and to, I'll be honest with you, I've had many moments where like I start to wonder am I the crazy one because everybody else around me is normalizing 
evil and I'm not trying to be negative here, but like I need people around me that believe the same things I believe. Not as having like an echo chamber because we still need to be challenged, but having people that are trying, that we're on the same path. We're trying to get to heaven, trying to get our families, our spouses to heaven, and we're trying to get each other to heaven, like our friends. And so I think it's important to have male, like really good male friendships, really good for the women to have good female friendships, and then to have good family friendships for your kids to know like, oh, there's other kids out there that are praying the rosary. A guy who had a, a tremendous impact on my life uh, when I was 16, we got a job together and he would pick me up and drive me to work. The first thing we would do on the way to work was pray the rosary. It was super important to me to have somebody like willing to like, hey, we're praying. To like, it wasn't like we were best friends or I knew him like really well. Like, this is this is my first exposure to him. And like, we're praying the rosary. I'm like, okay, this is normal. Okay. And then it was like just something I started doing because he was kind of cool in my eye. Like, I, I looked up to him and he was leading me without and he and he wasn't he didn't it wasn't like he was like oh i'm gonna lead this new guy to like be super catholic no he was just being himself and it had a profound effect on me and when it, it ended up getting me like i stopped playing sports and I actually started going to this youth group that i really got into my faith and without that simple like act of praying the rosary and saying yes to god are you saying yes to the holy spirit moving him I don't know where I would be today just from that simple act that he did. And I think we need to look at those opportunities where we can just be ourselves, don't react, but we act and we do what God, we feel like God's calling us to do. If there's fruit from it, keep doing it. If there's not fruit, then maybe we need to readjust and do something different. I don't know. Wow, what a powerful witness. I guess I wonder then if you were considering the experiences that you had in life, what maybe advice would you give them that would help them to build out what could best be defined as a Catholic homestead where everything is intentional, but the faith takes priority? I would, I would say trust, building trust and praying together. And I know it's crazy. Praying together as a couple sounds so easy, but it is like one, it, it is one of the hardest things. You know, one of the things I think that becomes particularly challenging for people when they are uh, considering the vocation of marriage. They feel called to it. They found a spouse, uh, and they are, you know, they're they're they've got a date for the marriage. Obviously, in the very beginning, everything you're particularly excited. Um, you know, you're it, it's it's exciting. It's just it's exciting. It should be. Yeah. You found someone yes. you love. You want to continue to love. You want to make a conscious decision to love, and then you get married, and it's. I think Krista would agree with me here. There's almost this anticlimactic experience in that this is what marriage is. It's struggling through your faults, my faults. So you bring, you know, we all bring this really powerful human experience. And when we're, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20, you know, early 20s or so and even older, we can get so blinded by this passion of love. It can even be framed, really framed really well within the faith. And yet you just can't at the same time deny that powerful love and attraction towards the other person that seemingly just shuts off all of their faults and shuts off all your faults. Like I'm pretty sure when I showed up and went on dates with Carissa, it was best foot forward. I showed my best self. 
I was al always probably showered, smelled good, clean, well presented. I probably only talked about things that I wanted you to be proud of. <laughs> then you married me. But the, I mean, you know, there's a certainly over time, there's like a peeling back of the onion of sorts and this revelation that you're not as perfect as you thought and I'm not as perfect as I thought and we are not as perfect of a couple as we thought we would be. Some that comes out like immediately when you are just learning how to live in a household together and who does the dishes and who does the laundry and who brings in the money and how does this whole thing work together. Then you have children and it's a whole different equation. It's how do you take care of them? How do you raise them? What do you teach? When do you teach it, etc. And it becomes very difficult. Um, but I think ultimately there is an end to this and it is heaven and it is a vocation which means it is you know god calls us into this and i often wonder if at times it's considered as the default because society kind of pushes people in this direction towards marriage and it's not so much a discernment process like if you were to become a priest or a sister you would go through a really intentional discernment process or hopefully you would even in marriage, the, you know, the discernment, the, you know, the more formalized discernment process is kind of up for interpretation and where you're at and what it is. But I, I really appreciate y'all sharing that because I think it provides a certain realness to it while encouraging at the same time. You would say getting married worth it? For sure. Of course. Yeah. Not. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think it's, Best I mean, decision. it's so good because you learn things that you didn't even realize about yourself. I mean, when we, you talked about peeling the onion back, like, yeah. you don't even know things. I don't know. I need somebody to help me get to heaven. Like, I don't think I can do it on my own. I mean, obviously I need God's grace, but like, I also need others that... Are gonna push me. Of yeah, iron. sharpening. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron. I think I've said to Chris that sometimes you have to carry me, and sometimes, yeah. well, I might be a little heavier than you, but sometimes you have to carry. I, you, sometimes you have to carry me, and sometimes I have to carry you. Yeah. Well, this is great. I think that's a really good place maybe to even consider. Um, you know, the end of the podcast for today, but I think you all have provided a, a, just. I guess I want to thank you because you've provided a remarkably. You know, we've kind of ebbed and flowed through some lighter topics and some more serious topics and you've provided some great insight that I think is missing oftentimes from the conversation and leaves people discouraged when they have no insight into the realness of the vocation of marriage or into what it takes to run what we may call a Catholic homestead, which is something that is oriented intentionally by the Catholic faith and ultimately nothing else. And so we really thank you for that. And we appreciate both you, Mike, and Francis for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for having us. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Little Way Farm and Homestead podcast. Check out the show notes for more information about this episode and be sure to tune in next week.